Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm trying not to, like, cry and, like, have an accident on myself all at the same time because I'm literally joined by seven-time Olympic medalist, two-time gold medalist, Shannon Literal Miller, where we discuss her journey as a decorated gymnast, her battle with ovarian cancer, and how she is bringing living a healthy lifestyle to the masses. Welcome to Getting Curious with Jonathan Vaness. And if you guys are driving your car or like in a moving vehicle or just like, I just want you to be careful because I feel like when I introduce this person who is this guest on this week's episode, I feel like you might freak out. So just don't be touchy on the brakes. If um, Welcome to the studio, Shannon Miller. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are, um, you're one of the most prolific gymnasts of all time. If not the most prolific gymnast of all time. I mean, certainly before Simone Biles like broke onto the scene, honey. But in 1992, you were the American with the most medals won. You're the most successful Olympian in the 1992 Barcelona Games. Yes, which is kind of crazy to think about. It's it's really crazy. You really, really were. And see, it was interesting because in 92, see, I talk about this in my stand-up a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do. Uh, but everyone's eyes were on that Kim Zemeskel, honey. And you were like a dark horse in that 1992 because everyone thought there was going to be Kim Zemeskel because she won all around in 1991. She was like the first American to win like worlds she all around was, in 91. Yes. And so then everyone's like, she was going to do it. But then she kind of like got a little baby bit nervous, which... I cannot even imagine. I get nervous just like going onto the ice or like just like doing like a back <laughs> handspring. Like I cannot even imagine the press. Good God. But then within this is like what I forgot between 92 and 96 is that you won in 93 and 94, which made me the world all around. Individual that's right. Title, that's right. Which made me feel like, were you the first American gymnast to defend their individual all around title at Worlds? I believe so. I think it's you were. It's a really long time ago, but I believe so. <laughs> yes. That was major. Well, you know, it's so funny because in 1992, there was apparently kind of like this big rivalry between me and Kim Zemeskel. And we laugh about it now because we're kind of like best friends. And uh, we laugh about it now. We're like, you know, what? we didn't really know each other to be rivals. And then we learned about that later. But um, but I love Kim. She was such um, an inspiration to me. Because you guys like went to Barcelona like together. We did. We did. Were you on the team in 91? for Worlds or were you yes. too young? You yeah. were. What did you guys do in team in 91? Oh, goodness. You're going to ask place, me this on the spot. Because in 92, you silver, got bronze. I thought we had silver team, but I could be wrong. For team in 91, what does it say, Emmy? Yeah, we're going to Google this. For team in 91. Uh, silver. Oh, my God. Silver, you're so right. <laughs> Nailing it. Question and random. When did it go from four passes on the tumbling series on beam to like two? Because now it's like only ever two. It's three. Yeah. But it always was four. You know, it's interesting. The rules have changed so much since I was competing. And every four years, they adjust again. Yes. Um, so it's kind of like every four years, you have to relearn everything about uh, what gymnastics is all about. And now it's a lot more about difficulty. And so you're getting a lot of um, different skills in. And it's kind of do the skills that are the highest value. You know, work the code. And, and that's how you're going to get the most points. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, we got to win. Because when you were competing, it was like the, still we were doing the perfect 10 days. Yes. Which were yes. major. I liked the perfect 10. I really did. But but they were so rare to happen. Yes. I got to say, that Michaela Maroney to not have had the equivalent of a 10 in 12 for that vault. Don't you think? I mean. It was amazing. But don't it you think? Beautiful. Like, that's like, if there is not a perfectly executed Aminar, <laughs> like, I don't know what is. Exactly. I No, I'm right with you there. It was beautiful. Like, Wow. <laughs> 
Right. You know, it's so funny because I was sitting up there and I was doing the commentary for for that Olympics. And you you kind of want to scream, but you're not, you know, you're on press row. You can't like, you know, cheer and go crazy and everything. So you're trying to stay composed. But, you know, then underneath the table, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so amazing. <laughs> Did you freak out when you saw Simone do the Biles, her new? It's like, which is basically the chain with like a half. It's like a chain. It's like a double. It's it's insane. It's I, like a round off on the vault with a double off, right? I, so can't, even, I can't even keep it straight. I mean, it, what she does and what amazes me is that I'm no longer surprised with the twists and the flips and everything that Simone does because she is simply amazing in everything that she does. And what is really interesting is that she's not just the power athlete on vault and floor, but she's incredible on balance beam. And that's a difficult mix to be steady as she goes on balance beam and then bust out this incredible vault. And now she's like the reigning silver medalist on bars. She literally got <laughs> silver last year at Worlds. Who saw that coming? So major she literally beat Aliyah Mustafina. Could not believe it. I was so shook. <laughs> Girl work. I mean, honey, because Aliyah Mustafina, she does not play around on beam. No. So. No. 1996. Well, actually, let's go before. Okay. 1994. 1993, yes. actually. It's your first individual world all-around title. Yes. You're minding your own business. <laughs> We're like, because did Tatiana Gutsu stop after 92? Was she like, I got the gold individual all-around, I'm out? I, oh I don't even know. I'm not even sure. But who was like your Gutsu in like 93? Like, who were we really just like going toe-to-toe with? Was um, it Porca Paiva yet? No, no. It was um, Milo. Um this one girl. Milosovic. Okay, yeah. Yes. Nailing it. Yes. So you guys are just going toe to toe. Because when did you, because on ball, you always. I feel like I'm getting quizzed. I've, I'm, you know, I'm really bad. <laughs> well, no, what I really want to talk about, because well, like, it's like vault. Because back in the, because like in the vault, it was like, she was like the horizontal, like skinny vault in 92 yes. and 96. And then by 2000, had it switched to the new one? Or was that 2004? 2004. That, so 2000. Yeah. That, did you ever get to like play around on the new vault? I did two front handsprings on the new, like the vaulting table. Yeah. Um, But that was it. And I will tell you, I. I love it. It is so much safer and so much springier. I so badly wish I got to compete on that table. Do you feel like your body just like from all of the years of like hitting those routines? Like what is like your like like my ballet teacher from when I had this like phase when I was 23 where I really wanted to be a ballet teacher. She had like <laughs> her hip like from turning out all the time was really problematic um, and she had like a really bad little baby bunion. Like is it like your shoulder? Or, like like what hurts? And, you know, I don't know if it's, let's see, at this point in my life, I don't know it's if it's from sport or from just getting old, but, but um, I don't have a lot of leftover injuries. Like I might have specific things, like I had shoulder surgery a couple years ago, but that was from a very specific bar move that I did toward the end of my career. And then I didn't get it fixed when I should have. What was it? Um, I tweaked it on um, like a, a blind front giant and... In 2000, with my well, you came my back. lovely comeback. Yes. Yes, my lovely comeback. Those fucking, but wait, can we talk <laughs> about that for a second? So wait, you had not really competed since 96. No, I started, I got this idea for this comeback in January of 2000, which is a little bit of insanity to think that you're going to get ready for an Olympic Games in seven months, but but that, that was me. But you looked really good at trials. So you I, came back in January. Yeah. So let's think about that. So the Olympics were going to be like that summer. And you did V... What did you do? What did you compete before? Trial? You did something before I trials. Did, I did a, a, like a meet in Canada that was just to kind of figure out where I was at. And then I did classics in Oklahoma where, where I was raised and trained. And that was the meet. The day before the competition, I broke my knee on a vault. Last vault of training 
And was just, it a full or a one and a half? It was a one and a half. Ah, uh, because um, you had always done fulls in 92. Yes. Then in 96, you switched to a one and a half. I think so. Yeah, because that's when Carrie, Carrie did oh, a Oh, and I half. also did like the half, like the half front also. Is that kind of like the Phelps? Is yes. It, yes. Well, yes, it is the Phelps. It's the so Phelps. So we both were doing it and she competed at Worlds first. So Ew, she Phelps. just like happened to go first. And if you had like gone first <laughs> on the roster, it would have been the... Well, I, I'm pretty sure I fell on mine. I think if my memory serves, that might be well, the Well, she's the blind landing. She's the forward landing. It's very difficult. But you it have is, the Miller yeah. on beam, yes. which is like a standing back handspring with a full twist. And then you end with like a split. It is, yes. So it's, let's see, back handspring, quarter turn, and then hop half turn. So it kind of looks like a full turn. It gives the illusion of a full turn and then land in a split, which is so much fun. It was so much fun to do. And then, so tell people this, because like I had just recently started working my tumbling again at the I, gym. I may have seen a little bit of your really. Tumbling. I'm very impressed. I'm so impressed. I cannot even tell you. I could not do an aerial right now if you paid me. I, yes, I, well, you. I would, let me just stress this. I would pull everything in my body. Not if, if you stretched it for like 20 minutes. If you stretched for like 20 minutes and did that little wedge thing that Sarah, my coach, had me on, <laughs> and did it into the pit. I actually really was shook that day though, because like I. Like, I was a cheerleader in high school, and, like, that's where I learned to tumble originally. Okay. And I never, like, I always, like, like I grew up, like, idolizing you, like, so hardcore. Aww. Like, love you so much. It's just gymnasts in general. But, like, I really wanted to be able to do a backflip, and I couldn't. And my little baby coach was like, and you guys will really have to read it in the book because I wrote a lot about it in the book. But this, my book is coming out in September. If you, <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, good. I'll send you a copy. But, um. But, like, I had this coach who used to tell me, she was like, I've never seen someone with, like, less natural ability learn how to tumble, <laughs> like, because you get over on, like, sheer determination. Because, like, my body is, like, not built for it. Well, you're six one. I'm, like, six one. Yeah, I mean, but I'm in a heel today, so I seem taller, but I'm six one. But still, I mean, tall I'm for a barely five. If I stand up really tall, I'm five foot. So, it, I mean, that's a huge height difference. And trying to get that around is... But I was Tough. really excited, like, to learn an aerial now. I was, like, very surprised because I didn't think I would, like, okay, I, I can do, like, a Brani in my sleep, but an aerial, like, has, has always, like, eluded me. Like, I just was, like, I just didn't think that my body could figure it out. Mm -hmm. But really, like, it was just, like, my, that back leg was dead. She just wasn't kicking. And then Sarah's, like, you have to, like, kick with your back leg and, like, lift your chest up a little. And I was, like, oh, my God, that's what it is. Then, last week. I well, it may be like several weeks ago by the time this episode comes out. So like, don't worry about time. So here's the thing. I totally thought when I was done cheering in college, I would never do a full again. Because they're kind of scary. Like twisting is kind of scare, scare. Um, but I literally just like did one off the trampoline accidentally last week. Like oh working at, yeah, I did like a round off full off the trampoline into the pit. I was like really feeling so 18, like so inspired. <laughs> but if I talk about my own gymnastics to you when we are in the middle of talking about your comeback anymore, I'm going to take this marker and shove <laughs> it through my eye. So anyway, so it's January. Uh, no, but but seriously, I love um, adult gymnastics. I just think more people should do it because it's, it's fun. And you can do it into the pit and like be safe. Yes, yes. And it makes you feel young again. And you get to try these things that you always wanted to do as a kid and Maybe didn't have the option to do. I just love like doing a present before tumbling pass. <laughs> just like doing it. And then like also like it's like I feel like I hope that um Sarah and Amy, which are like the girls that are like teaching me to like tumble again mm -hmm. in New York. Like I'm always like I love when we do videos. I'm always like, can you give me like, come on, Jonathan, you got it. <laughs> like I just I love a good cheer from the side. It makes me feel so good. But anyway, so it's January of 2000. Yes. Y2K had not happened. We woke <laughs> up the next day. We all lived. Thank fucking God. And you're like, you know what? I'm young. I got it. I'm going back. I'm the reigning Olympic gold medalist on beam. Like, <laughs> and 
if my memory serves me correctly in trials that year, had there's there were some openings on beam, there were some openings on some things. There were definitely some areas where I thought I might be able I mean I wouldn't have done it if I beam didn't and think bars, I could help. Beam and bars that you uh, hello. I knew I wasn't I knew I wasn't gonna help on vault, let's be honest. Well not vault, but, but on but beam and bars. Beam and bars, yes. I thought that yeah, maybe floor. I could do something. And and I could definitely be kind of in the mix. I could definitely be backup, you know, if if someone we got injured. I like put me in coach. But beam and bars for sure. Like lead off for sure. Three up, three count. Absolutely. Like put me in for team final. Like you are not even crazy for thinking <laughs> that girl like at all. So, but I mean, maybe it could have been cuter if you would have had the epiphany. And like, do you think if you would have had the epiphany in January of 99, that would have made a difference? Just having that extra year? <laughs> Probably. But at the same time, that's also a year more taxing on your body. Uh, and so, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things where I thought, you know, if I don't try it, I will always wonder what if. So I might as well go for it. And whatever happens, happens. And it's really interesting the way life works. And I got injured um, before. But is that the one that I remember, like, on TV, like, on your vault? Like, that's yeah. when the one. But I feel like that was, like, at trials. That was at trials. So I got injured at um, training at Classics. And then I went, um, I ended up and then you going had to trials. I petitioned to trials. Because that took more than my 13-year-old gay self could take. Like, when, they, <laughs> when the commentator was talking about how you had to like petition to get on like I literally like, yes. I remember almost like ripping my hair out watching the t- TV I was like that is the most decorated American gymnast of all motherfucking time how it dare they they need to roll out the red carpet for Miss Shannon motherfucking Miller I was so upset I could not even handle it. I could not even handle it so I'm just saying like for you because I know that we keep a positive around here but like we should be fucking outraged like I mean if I could go back to 2000 to that right Julie's face is she can't even everyone's face is like, everyone's like what we have to take a really quick break we're gonna be back with more Shannon Miller after this Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We have literally Shannon Miller freaking out. So <laughs> then at trials, you're doing your one and a half. Yeah. So I, well, I did verification the first day. So I kind of did like a full meet that day. And then I did the first day of trials. And then the second day of trials, I was up and on you balls. looked really good on first day of trials. Your beam was good. Beam, my beam was good. Your beam was really good. The vault was okay. The others were fine. And you had upgraded um, your vault to a one and a half. I did, which was so crazy. And it was a Yurchenko one and a half. It was a Yurchenko one and a half. And, you know, the biggest, I think. Which, just so you guys know, that's literally what um, Nasty Lyukin won all around with in 2008 on, like, the new vault. Like, that oh, was a Yurchenko right. one and a half. Yeah. So just saying, like, that's, like, on the old vault. Like, a Yurchenko one and a half, like, it's a round off. Round off, then back handspring onto the vault, and then like a one and a half off. It's like a blind landing. It's really difficult. Yes, yeah. But even eight years after, with the new vault, that's what people were winning with. Yeah, you know? it's, it was not an easy vault. It was not an easy vault for me, especially. I I do not have the most powerful legs, shall we say. <laughs> I have kind of these these skinny little things. And and so vault was more challenging for me. And I probably should have stayed with the Yurchenko full because they weren't going to use me on vault anyway. But, but you're you know, just trying to show the Crowleys that you were like here to fucking play. I'm, well, you know, and you don't want to hold back. I've just never been an athlete that holds back or plays it safe. And so, you know. But and competition was fierce at trials risk. that year. Yeah. yeah. So, but like, so then that happened there. Like, okay, so I I'm not going to do this like right now. Amy Chow went on. That Amy Chow. When I go back and watch, okay, 96 trials, she literally like tumbled onto her face on her beam routine, fell off because she like fell on her face. right. Had to get back on. She had a standing full on beam and a triple full as a discount. Amazing. 
Dang. And she's just kind of this one that would silently go into competition. It was not a lot of flash and and just get the work done. I mean, she just got it done. Consistent. Yes. And dang. <laughs> dang. So, but in 2000, you're like, okay, so it's not going to happen. But then, so then what happened? Well, then I, so I went home and I ended Which up- is Oklahoma City? Oh, yeah, right outside of Oklahoma City. Edmund, is it close to Oklahoma? I have some family from Enid. It's fairly close. So I'm Edmond. Okay. So the other E. They're like sister yes. cities. Yes. Um, I competed in Enid a lot growing up. You did? I did. I yeah. bet you like took those like yeah. little Enid gymnasts to town, honey. I don't know. I lost for a really long time. No, you didn't. <laughs> did you really? Oh, yeah, I did. That's interesting. It, it, people see the gold medals and the success, but we forget about the thousands of times we fell in our face first. <laughs> Was there like at any time like where you had had like a bunch of pressure like pre-92 where you had like kind of had like a moment that was like really big and pressury that like you didn't like do what you thought you were going to do. And like, how did you deal with it? I think there were a lot of moments like that. I was, I was, and I think I am, I just, I'm built this way as a person. I expect a hundred percent of myself and I expect to get it right. And when that doesn't happen, I get very frustrated. And as a kid growing up, I didn't know how to handle that frustration. So a lot of times I would just start crying. And um, and my coach really kind of helped me understand how to channel that. And okay, you can cry about this now, but you're not getting any work done. Or you could get up and you could try it again. And if you fall, you try it again. And, and just- He was cute. Wasn't his name Steve. Steve Nuno. And he had like a like he had like a mustache yes. and brown hair. Yes. Yeah, we liked him. I had like a five-year-old crush on him. I did. I thought he was like really cute. I was like, I was like, if he was my gymnastics coach, honey, like I just like, you know, he's so cute. Um, but anyway, keep yes. going. So, you know, I think those moments, um, I learned the importance of failure and and how that can lead you to success. And that was such a great life lesson. And I, so I think that was one of the things that ultimately allowed me to succeed was I felt so many times that I kind of understood what to do. And so sometimes you have athletes that they never, I mean, there were athletes that were so much more talented than me in the gym and they would hardly ever make a mistake. But if they got into a competition situation where they faltered, they didn't always know how to deal with it. Um, All of a sudden, everything just kind of came tumbling down. Well, I knew how to deal with it because I fell all the time. And so I think just learning how to deal with it over time led me to to be able to succeed um, and really cope with it. When I fell, I'd get back up and I would know that I just had to minimize any deductions and you never know what happens. And I think for me, my first real test of that was um, my first state competition. I think I was maybe eight years old and I know. <laughs> and I did a, a backhand spring layout, step out on balance beam and I fell. And it was my first event. And You had I, a backhand spring layout, step out when you were <laughs> eight on beam. Um, but it was my, it was. Is that typical of like eight year? No. I that's, don't know. I don't think that's that typical. Yeah, because like you're the 1996 like gold medalist on, like <laughs> Olympic gold medalist on beam. So like that really is typical for beam. you. I really liked beam. But I, fell and I I remember I was just I was crushed and then it was kind of one of those moments where I, okay I've just I've got to get back up and I've got to finish the routine and do the best I can and then my coach said look you never know what's going to happen but just go in you, you got to give it 100% on all three events it's not over and I ended up winning state that year and it was kind of one of those okay I think he knows what he's talking about all right I can do this and it just helps you be a little bit more calm under pressure or when you do make a mistake. And that actually happened again at Olympic, was it Olympic trials in 96 that I fall on beam? There was one of them. I fell on beam again. Did you? I think so. Everyone was really nervous on beam in 96 trials. 
I think we're, I, I was always nervous on beam. But people, I mean, 96, that competition was ferocious like for that team. There were a lot of good gymnasts, yeah. It would, that was an incredible year for gymnastics. It was ferocious in 2002. Like it was, and I feel like 2002, I remember that one gymnast, Morgan White, and she like yes. broke her foot like the day that she like got to Australia. Mm-hmm. And then um, Tasha Schweiker ended up being the alternate, but like totally slayed. In 2000, like she did really, really good. But then what was so crazy was in 2000, they got fourth, but then that Chinese gymnast ended up being like 12. And they got the bronze medal. In 2008. Yes. But it took eight years for that to happen. It's crazy. That story, I think, is one of the most interesting stories ever. I also talk about that on Santa because that's how Dominique Dawes became the first gymnast, American gymnast to win an Olympic medal in three consecutive games. That's right. That's exactly right. But it took eight years for her to get those accolades. <sighs> Talk about an, um, another amazing gymnast. Oh my I love gosh. She, I mean, I love her. And she was like, just so stable. Yes. Like, just like she, she like, oh, she was like the first, <laughs> in 94, she like, wow, that's interesting. In 94, she won the individual at all the nationals, but then at Worlds, you came and were like, hi, sorry, like grabbing that all around title, like <laughs> can't help it, defending it, nailing it. <laughs> did you find that like, were, did you do better like at international or national? Like, did you find like you were like, did pressure make you like come out harder? I think I scored better internationally uh, and I don't really know why. Maybe I competed better. I don't know. Um, I feel like the not the bigger the competition, but the the more challenges I was facing, the better I tended to do. And in 94, I had a pulled stomach muscle. Mm. And so just going over there and, and doing a glide kip on bars, when you know, one of the most basic moves was so difficult for me. And so just trying to kind of come back from that, I was so focused on, okay, I just got to get through this routine. I've got to really focus. And I think that allowed me to kind of block all the other stuff out. Um, This whole idea that I was, you know, returning champion and would I get the gold again, you know, all that, the media stuff that goes around, I just kind of didn't hear any of it because I was so focused on just getting through my routines. You did a double layout off bars with a pulled (laughs) stomach muscle. I wanted to talk to you about the media thing because that's interesting. Like the whole, like, because I remember like seeing vignettes of you, like those little like athlete like backstory packages where they would like basically ask you when you were like a 14, 15 year old girl, like about the rivalry or like, (laughs) like, how do you feel when people are all this attention's on Kim Zemeskel and you'd be like, yeah, well, like, I don't really think about that because, but like (laughs) as an adult now and looking for that and like, it even just happened at Worlds and figure skating, which was really gross. Like you had Mariah Bell, this this American figure skater who's just sweet as she could be, at least from what I could tell on Instagram. And she had like this, this, she was like warming up and they like, she very clearly from video, like accidentally, like a piece of her skate, like caught this other skater's back of her skate. But the skater like didn't immediately, first of all, didn't immediately react. So it seemed like like four or five seconds like passed before she was like, oh, my leg. Then the coach who's like an adult, an adult like coach Mm -hmm. at Worlds, like that was part of like the Korean Federation for figure skating, came out and like calls Mariah Bell out by name and says that she intentionally like kicked Yunsu in this warm up. And the comments like on this girl Mariah's like Instagram was like, it was no, no, like seriously crazy, like so rude, so messed up. And I like, I forgot where I was even going with it because like, I was just like, ah, what was I talking about right before I got like re-traumatized from talking about figure skating? Just asking about, you know, asking athletes. Oh yeah. So Why is there young. this media attention? Like, what do you think about that? Thank you so much. As an adult, <laughs> I got so traumatized by bringing it up. Um, I feel like I need to like Beatrix Kittowick because I don't want to like re-traum anyone that was involved in that. Um, but anyway, like, 
what do you think? Like, how, why does the media do that? It's like, it's like literally kids. And it's another thing I've noticed too, like when, cause like I realized that I was like really xenophobic when it came to gymnastics, like just literally this year, like, cause like I only wanted like the Magnificent Seven to win. Maybe <laughs> we're not the Magnificent Seven, no matter how good your double front punch was, Lily Porcupine, I did not have time for it. And I kind of was like filled with like blind rage every time someone did well, like that wasn't on the American team. But I'm over that now, like as an adult, you know? But like, cause like everyone was great and that's great. But, and like everyone was great. And I actually do really like to watch old Olympics and worlds now, like, and not being like a nightmare, like, you know, America first, like MAGA person. Cause I was such a MAGA person when it came to like gymnastics and figure skating. I really was like America first. Um, but what do you think about the whole like media frenzy? Like, you know, I think it's extra difficult now. I mean, I grew up in, in a day where, I mean, there, there but they still did that the then. But they, they still did it then. They still tried to create a narrative even then. They still created a narrative then, but I don't think we were uh, as aware of it. I mean, I know we weren't as aware of it because we didn't spend the time watching TV or watching And there was the no comments. And, yeah, yeah, there was no social media. There wasn't internet or cell phones or anything. So you could kind of um, move through without thinking about it too much, except for those few times they would ask you. And then you kind of look around like, okay, wait, I don't really understand why that they asked me that. But, you know, I just answered as best I could. And, of course, at the time, I was so shy, I barely talked anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> in fact, I think I was doing a radio interview after 96. Um, a reporter came up to me the other day and he said, yeah, I was doing a radio interview with you after 96 and you nodded your answers. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Because you were like a but teenager still. I, I was so shy. But, um, but I think it's important to not place a narrative onto athletes. And I I try really hard because now a lot of times I am part of the media as far as commentary and analysis. And I think it's really, um, I try to keep it about the athletics and keep it about the work that's being done and understand that these, these are athletes and they're people too. And so let's let them tell their own story instead of telling their story for them. Which is really so important to like let people speak their own truths and their own stories. Absolutely. And and I think you find it's more interesting as well because you don't really know what people are going through or, um, you know, a lot of times I think we're trying to create this, there's this narrative trying to be created to make it more exciting. But I think people's like, their stories are exciting enough because that is what they've lived and what they've done. And and maybe um, you just haven't gotten into their their story as much as you should. Ask them questions, but let them tell the story. Don't tell them the story and then ask them questions about the story you created. Oh my God. I feel like I do that to people all the time. <laughs> I do like, I ask a question, then I answer the question, then I ask the person to like answer the question that I literally- It's hard at, not to do that though. It's hard because I get nervous. Yeah. But wait, so, you know, they say it's like not- the that adage of like it's never the situation it's like our reaction to it so that if we can assume between like 92 and 2018 that like that the mainstream media or like media will try to do like a it will always be clickbaity to try to pit like the two top female athletes against each other (laughs) or like just to put like to put athletes against each other and that will always be a clickbaity thing but it's really like that's not the issue it's like what we do with it and like how we internalize it and take that into like our own lives so what have you learned in your competitive career like that you can kind of focus on like just bettering yourself and like not let in that extra noise. I think what my parents taught me really early on, and this again was before internet and social media and all of that was don't read your own press. Because whether someone says something good about you or something bad about you, that really doesn't affect who you are and what you want to achieve. So 
if you want to um, get a better routine or go to the next competition or qualify for something, go in the gym and give it 100%, period. And don't worry about what anyone else is doing or saying. Just go in there and do the work and the work will um, speak for itself. And that's like really how we could apply that if you're like not a gymnast. It's like if you're going for that promotion or like that next goal in your life, it's like really not your business what people are saying about you or thinking about you. Like you just have to like focus on your job. That's right. Focus on you and and really just understand what your goal is and, and go after it. And don't be afraid of of what anyone else is saying or doing. Just go after it. Run your, run your own race is kind of what we oh, say. Love that. Okay, so but wait, I would be remiss to talk about your Olympic career and then like not talk about like beam event finals <laughs> 96. So Carrie lands that fucking one and a half year chinko, like out of nowhere, nails yeah. it. We win gold for the first time as team in 96. Like the whole thing's happening. Yay. I feel like there should be applause right now. Woo! Yes, no, it's all happening. <laughs> it is. So that happens. It's your first Olympic gold medal. You'd come like so close, like literally five, well, twice before with silvers, like three, but I mean, you would come so close like <laughs> several times. So you get this gold, then and you qualify for all arounds. All arounds is like Lily is like really having a good meet, honey. Like all hell was breaking loose. But anyway, so then it's beam. Did you do any other event finals that year? So I did. So I did all around and I stepped out of bounds, which I still like relive. But um, no, on floor, on floor. But everything else was clean. Everything else was good. And then that made you like it, fifth, sixth, fourth. Something like that. I might have been. It might have been eighth. No. Or I, yeah. It was. It was a. Oh, yeah. break. My bad. We're gonna take a really <laughs> quick break. We'll be right back with more. Getting curious right after this. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We have Shannon Miller. So, anyway, so you stepped out on fucking floor. I did. Um, you know, and it's not a big deal. Crazy. Like, like but. now it's like, yes, it fine. It but it was like a three tenths deduction back then. I wonder, or one tenth. It was enough to not knock yeah. me out of the so metal. So fucking rude of them. So anyway, and, that then happened. I went, so I filled in for vault, for Carrie for vault. Um, so, which, you know, I didn't have that much business being in vault finals at the Olympics. And my second vault wasn't that amazing but I'm gonna go in I'm representing the United States I'm wearing my red white and blue like I'm gonna give it everything I have and I'm gonna land on my feet and I went down and landed right on my rear end no yes you can watch that on YouTube I'm so happy about on a one and a half uh no on my it was my um like a souk half like a souk half front layout. Um, and I had never missed it before, but I got off on my steps, which again, why would that happen at the Olympic Games is beside me. Wow, but, my God. Because what happens yeah. on a vault if you get off on the wrong steps? Because you really can't correct it, right? You can't correct it. The safe thing to do is run to the side before you hit the board because then you get to try it. You get a do-over. Oh, you do? Um, yes, if if you make the decision soon enough. But I, I did not. <laughs> I was all in and then I was all on my rim back. Backside. Uh. But um, but then it was after that, I, I remember talking to my mom that night and just kind of falling to pieces. And, you know, I can't believe I stepped out of bounds and then on my backside and now beam, it's my last chance. You have 90 seconds left of my Olympic career. What if, what if I fall? What if I fail? What if I let everyone down? And she finally just said, you, you know, have you given it 100% at other other competitions and training up to this point? And I said, well, yes, you know, I don't always get it right, but I always give it my best. And she said, 
I know. And that's why you can walk into that arena, head held high, confident in the fact that no matter what happens, you have done everything that you could up to this point. And I kind of walked in with that that feeling of, all right, let's just enjoy the moment. And um, gosh, it was the fastest 90 seconds of my life. But uh, <laughs> And you were first up or third up? You were like towards the beginning. You did not I have know, like a great placement. I didn't have a great placement. And it was I was somewhere in the middle. I don't remember exactly where. I never watched other competitors ever. So, so you're like kind of back behind a curtain I somewhere? Was, yeah, I was doing, usually I'm doing drills on the sidelines. So I'm down there and I'm just going through my routines over and over and over. So, but you won. I was in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan on a family vacation <laughs> and my family's like cabin that we go to this in the summer. I had like a hanger in the TV. I was riveted. I was so relieved because I was like, I, you had, like, I was just so relieved that you got that individual gold that you so deserved. <laughs> so that was so major. You like walked out of Atlanta with your individual gold, your team gold, all gold, golden girl. Love that so much. So then it's after that, it's after 2000, you go on to become a lawyer well, you go to law school. I know practice, but I went to law school, yes. And you like literally like finished like law school. school. I love school. <laughs> I like that's major. You like like that's who knew? Like it's kind <laughs> of like an L Woods moment, except for like not you were like a really smart gymnast and like not chasing a guy. But like I feel like I would have like I feel like 13-year-old me would have been like surprised that Shannon Miller ended up going to like law school. I was with my parents. It was always education first. That was the deal. Like, yes, honey, we love that you do this little gymnastics thing, but did you get your math homework done? And so that's kind of how I grew up. And did you go to public school when you I were? Did. You I did. You did. Yeah, I went to public school, and then um, I started uh, going part time, taking part time college classes when I was training for ninety six. And then I think it was something that helped me kind of balance gymnastics. For me, it was never okay. Life is gymnastics. It's I had that balance of education and life outside of sport, which I think in many ways helped take the pressure off because it wasn't like, okay, anyone's going to love me any less if I fall at this competition. I'm going to go to school the next day and take my English test. And that's just life. So that is incredible. I love that. Kept you like very <laughs> grounded like that because you're like very grounded, like very incredibly grounded, obviously very clearly hard worker. So you finished law school. Then what happens? Uh, then I um, launched my company devoted to women's health and wellness. And I really wanted to focus on helping women make their health a priority because we all know that we, we kind of put ourselves to the back burner. We go out and we take care of everyone and everything else first. And a lot of times we're skipping our appointments. And I had listened to my mom as she skipped appointments to take care of us and friends of mine that um, don't have time to exercise. And and I was falling into that same trap. And I thought, you know, there's got to be some things we can do just kind of in everything in moderation, not extreme dieting, not extreme this or that, but what can we do every day? And what year is this? This was, um, so I started kind of the concept after law school around, and then 2007 to 2009 is when I kind of got it going. And you're like married with babies already. No, no, not yet. Not yet. Um, so I started a company and then... I um, had to get my time right, which should yes. be in front of my face. Why don't you tell me about it? <laughs> so, I, yes, I started the company 2009, 2010, and then had our son. Um, well, actually, 2008, 2009, started, um, had our son in 2009. And then in 2000, late 2010, I got the shock of my life. I, I had um, a tumor on my left ovary and found out early 2011 that I had uh, ovarian cancer. Wow. So you have a one-year-old? Yeah. And a new company? Yes. And you, like, had you not 
and your company is about like devoted like women's wellness <laughs> and like kind of like what a universal like it's amazing how how life works it it is really interesting and actually um so um the July that I had launched the company in 2010, uh, I also started hosting a radio show. And every weekend I would go in, I would interview nurses and physicians about every health topic you could imagine. And as we moved into the fall, we were doing a lot on cancer awareness, the importance of early detection and getting to your doctor's appointments and all those good things. And I, at the time, was starting to feel very overwhelmed. I had this one-year-old who I was just wanted to spend all my time with and all these great milestones. And then the company, which was really picking up steam, lots of deadlines, crazy things, the holidays. And I had um, a doctor's appointment coming up and I actually called up to cancel the appointment because I was going to be out of town. I thought, I'm fine. I'll, I'll just, I'll put it off till next year. It's no big deal. And as I was waiting on hold, I just felt this amazing sense of guilt because here I was an advocate for women's health, doing the exact opposite of everything I'm telling other women to do. And um, so when she came back on the line, I said, look, I, I'm not going to be here, but what about a cancellation list or a first available? I'll, I'll make it work. And she said, oh, that's great. That was a cancellation on the other line. Can you come over now? So <laughs> I wasn't thinking really about my health. I was just thinking, how fast can I get this done? Because I've got too much to do. And that morning, my doctor found a baseball-sized cyst on my left ovary. And this is November, or like this is about November. And and you're just trying to get this done, like having, <clears throat> and you like you hadn't been feeling like tired, like not really having like tons. Of, you just like thought like it was life. It's I, I thought it was <clears throat> life, and I look back, and I actually was doing an interview. Um, in I guess maybe February of the next year after the diagnosis had gone public. And the reporter asked me, um, did you have any signs or symptoms? In fact, I think it was Robin Roberts. And um, she said, did you have any signs or symptoms? And I said, no, I I really didn't. And it was after that, my husband kind of said, you know, hey, you you know, you were complaining about some stomach aches last fall. Do you think that could have anything to do with it? And so I kind of started looking at the signs and symptoms and realized I had three of the primary symptoms symptoms of ovarian cancer, bloating, sudden weight loss, um, severe stomach aches. And I could chalk every single one of those up to either regular women's issues or, oh, just, you know, ate something wrong. Um, It was so easy to brush those symptoms aside. And I think that's what terrifies me the most about my diagnosis, not the actual diagnosis, but the thought that it went so easily unnoticed that I was so fortunate that my my doctor happened to catch it at an early stage. And it was like a baseball like size, like right? And how how do you have a I I'm a five five foot, I say five foot if I stand up really tall. <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm a small person. How do you have a baseball sized tumor and not know? And that's just it's crazy to think about. And that's one of the reasons why I did become very public about my issue and I was willing. It's not that my lifelong dream was to go around the country talking about my ovaries, (laughs) but um, I think it's really important that that women know the signs and symptoms and men, too, because every man has a woman in their life that they love and that they care about. So if we can help each other watch for these symptoms and not that every stomach ache is going to be ovarian cancer, but we know our bodies better than anyone else. 
we have to listen to our bodies and not be afraid to speak up when something doesn't feel right. And it scares me that I had had such severe stomach aches. I had lost six pounds in a month, um, yet I couldn't zip up my skirt that I always wore. And yet I went into my doctor's office and told him I felt fine because I didn't want to complain. Wow. So how did... What like what was the plan like once it happened? Like once you came to, to terms with this, like what was the plan? So as soon as I found out um, that there was this this cyst, um, we didn't know what type of cyst it was. And women get cysts all the time; they come and go. Um, so it was kind of that wait and observe period. And for four to six weeks, we did any tests that were available, but there are no specific tests to detect ovarian cancer. So. Um, by January, I was sitting with an oncologist, and he did another ultrasound, and he said, this is this is a mass. It's not going to go away. We don't really know what we're dealing with, um, but I need to schedule you for surgery immediately. And uh, January 13th uh, was when I woke up from surgery and found out that it was ovarian cancer, a rare form of ovarian cancer. Of 2011. 2011, yeah. So just you just found out November and then by you get like the news of what it is and then it's just like they take out your, they take it out and then. Yeah, they. They took out the tumor. Um, I didn't mean to ask you specifically what they took. I'm so sorry. If that no, was that's like, fine. No, that's, it's one of the things I decided that if I'm going to be open about it, I think it's important to be open. My mother's also a cancer survivor, not ovarian, but she doesn't want to talk about it. And, and I think that's important that we respect women that just kind of want to deal with it in their own way. She's told me I'm welcome to talk about her cancer diagnosis, but I learned a lot from her. And I think that for me to be able to utilize any platform that I have from my past career to help um, spread the word about signs and symptoms and help women focus on their health, then then hopefully that's a good thing. Um, But yeah, so I I went through the surgery. I didn't know what it was until after I woke up from surgery. So it wasn't kind of the typical sit in the doctor's office and learn about it. It was, I woke up in the hospital bed. And for me, it was Mixed news, but I prefer to think of it as good news because while it was ovarian cancer, they had caught it early. And unfortunately, there are over 22,000 women that will be diagnosed with ovarian cancer each year, and most of those are going to be at a later stage. And when you catch cancer, of course, any cancer at a later stage, you have less options. And um, and I think it's important for women to really understand those signs and symptoms because the earlier it can be detected, the more likely they are to, to have their life saved. So when you were talking about that you kind of were experiencing some of these symptoms, but you didn't really know the name or like know how to put a name on it, you didn't want to complain. And it's like you obviously grew up like working so hard and holding yourself up to like a level of expectation that like most people don't end up becoming Olympic gold medalists. <laughs> and so I think that your work ethic and your training level is probably above and beyond like what most like people's are. But I definitely know like what it's like when there's like people waiting on you and like pressure on you for you to like show up and be on time and just mm-hmm. be the face that people like want you to be. Mm-hmm. But how did you slow like well, I guess you really didn't because it, it was kind of by chance, but you've gone on to help so many people learn to slow down and listen to their bodies. So what have you kind of learned from becoming this advocate of like listening to your body and and, and really kind of learning to walk the walk of like what your company, 
what it set out to do, which is like a women's wellness thing. Like you ended up experiencing that like firsthand. Like what have you learned about like how people slow down to tackle their wellness? Absolutely. And and it's a hard thing to say slow down. In fact, um, for me, I in some ways think of it as slowing down, but more like stopping and smelling the roses because it's important that we continue with our goals and everything that we want to achieve in life. We shouldn't do less um, than we want to do or be, but it's important to take the opportunity to pay attention to what our body is telling us. And we sometimes we just have to take that time, whether it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes or five minutes, whether it's sitting in the car or driving your kids to school or after you've dropped them off, just have that moment where you just kind of check in with yourself. And especially if you are having any kind of a health issue, I think it's really important and it's something I do now, write it down or put it in your phone, but keep a log because it's really hard to go into the doctor's office and say, yeah, I feel fine now. And you just kind of want to get out of there as fast as you can. But if you have that log and that list, you can say, well, you know what? I've actually had four severe stomach aches in the last two weeks and I lost I lost six pounds in the last month, but I'm not doing anything different. I'm not dieting. I'm not exercising more. So I just think there's something up. And then they can begin to check that. But if you go in like I did and tell the doctor you're fine, you're not giving them a lot to work with. And so I think that's important is to just check in with ourselves and, and pay attention to what we're going through. But what if you're like scared? I mean, I think so many people like don't do that because like they're scared of what the like what the outcome could be like what Absolutely. if I do have something like how do the people that you've helped you know I think the way I've started to look at things um, certainly since my my diagnosis is that and and this happens with recurrence too because it's not just about the diagnosis and treatment but it's post-treatment and what if it comes back and there's kind of always that little fear in the back of your mind and so I think for me it's just become look I'm going to speak up and say something if something doesn't feel right. And if it's bad news, then at least I know sooner rather than later. Because the earlier you know about something, whether it's diabetes or heart disease or any type of cancer, the more options you have and the more you can do about it on the front end. And so I think that's really important. And I try to help um, women especially, but everyone. It's so important to not allow that fear to hold you back from getting the care that you need. So- Tell me about your program and what your program is doing now. So one of, um, so I'm so excited and I'm so honored to partner with Tesaro on their Our Way Forward campaign program. And this is a program that is really designed to focus on the patient and care partners that are going through an ovarian cancer diagnosis. And what I love about this program, and I so wish that I had it when I was diagnosed, but it allows the focus and and this idea of kind of rethinking the way we talk about ovarian cancer. Um, And it takes the patient's perspective and experiences um, into consideration and really focuses on that. So if you go to ourwayforward.com, what you're getting is uh, videos and blog posts and discussion guides and even events that are in your, your local community so that ovarian cancer survivors can really share their stories and kind of create this community because we know that by sharing our stories and even if you just go and listen to other stories, it's important because you gain that hope and you gain that strength and you know that you are not in this alone. And I think that's a really 
really big deal. I know for me, um, having other women that I knew that had gone through a diagnosis and being able to say, okay, all right, she did this and she did that. And while my experience may may not be the exact same, I gained strength through what they were doing and how they were handling it. Um, But I think the other part is kind of what we talked about before is that it's not just about getting that um, care and having those resources during diagnosis and treatment, but also having it post-treatment because I think during treatment, you have this incredible team surrounding you. You have all the medical staff, you've got people bringing over dinner and helping you clean the house and and people are so amazing. And then the day treatment ends, it's like you lose that team. It's like the day after the Olympics, everyone's gone and you feel like you're alone. You don't have that support system any longer. And yet you still have a lot of the issues from treatment, the nausea, the fatigue, the neuropathy, all of these things. Um, You still are not feeling 100% or anywhere near 100%. You have this constant fear of, will it come back? And that is a lot to deal with. And so what Our Way Forward does is helps you not only have those resources for the physical, but for the emotional, which is is so important to deal with. My mom just, um, this last March crossed five years survivorship. Oh, congratulations. Um, she was... She had a football side, not to one up, but my mom had a little. <laughs> okay. she, and also, like your mom, she like, doesn't really like talk like, but she was like, you can talk about it. it's like been a part of you know our family's journey. But um, I just the strength and like resilience that she had, but also you know when you do go up against a diagnosis like that, like there is no roadmap, and it's something that like you are never really can be prepared for, and so to have like a resource like this is amazing. And really what I hear, like you saying about it, it's like, it's a community. It is. It's a community where you have these shared experiences. And again, every, every experience is different. We're not all in the same place. We're not all on the same exact treatment, but at the same time, we do share this sisterhood um, and these shared experiences that we can talk about. And I know, I mean, I learned things like, you know, how to wear my wig, you know, (laughs) from, from other women and, you know, what was normal and what was maybe not as normal and what could I ask questions about? Because I think a lot of times you feel as if, okay, your treatment plan is X, Y, and Z. And so you just have to do it and kind of get used to being uncomfortable. But now looking back, I realize with the resources available now, your treat you don't have to just suffer through it. You know, you can have an individualized treatment plan. You can talk to your doctor about, you know, hey, this medication for nausea is not working for me. Can we try something new? I didn't really know that I could speak up about those things and really be a partner in my treatment treatment plan. So um, I think, again, it's just this wonderful resource where you learn so much from others because it is complete uncharted territory. You have no idea. And I had kind of gone through this. Like I said, my mother's a cancer survivor as well. And so going through it with her as a a care partner, I was at a loss. I didn't know what to do or what to say or how to help. And again, I would have loved to have had a resource that would give me some kind of a roadmap. Oh, is there some of that for the care partners too? It is. Yes. For the patient and their care partners and even for physicians. And so that it kind of brings the entire community together so that we're kind of all on the same page and we know um, different things to expect, but also just get to hear from each other. And I think there's such... 
um, a, a strength in hearing others' stories and hearing what they go through. And I will never forget, I am, um, speaking of not wanting to let people down, I had signed up for a speech before I was diagnosed and, and I had mostly kind of cleared my schedule of, of things, but I thought, you know, the speech, it's, it's local. I can do it. I'll, I'll be fine. Well, I was several weeks into chemo at that point, And I realized I could barely get up and walk twice around the dining room table. And how was I possibly going to stand up for 45 minutes and talk? And I just, I, I, I was, I could barely just even get to the place. And as I was walking up to the lectern, a woman stood up, and I'll try not to cry, but she stood up and she took my hand and she looked at me and she said, I, I just, I want you to know I had the same tumor as you. In fact, we happen to have had the same physician. And that was 10 years ago. I now have two beautiful children and you're going to make it. And I just, of course, I bald, just like I am now. But it gave me such hope and such strength to know that someone had made it. And for me, that's what Our Way Forward does. It gives you hundreds and thousands of those types of stories that can give you hope. <sighs> um, wow. Because really, it's like taking like the things that helped you beat your diagnosis and like just brings it like right into your like right into the computer. So it just like brings it that much closer, like the things that helped you like this Our Way Forward is like Our Way Forward is bringing it. It does. And it's it's via computer. It's via, you know, ourwayforward.com, but it's also live events. And so that's really important, too, because you get to connect with with real people that are going through this. Um, but at the same time, it's it's building that community and that support system and those resources. So, again, post-treatment, you don't feel like everyone disappears. They're still right there with you. You've still got this incredible oh, team. I love that or that piece of it. It's, it's fabulous. And it's so important in, in all of the, um, I, I talk to so many different survivor groups um, all of the time. And that's the one common theme that I hear the most is, you know, I had lots of people there surrounding me, supporting me during treatment. But after treatment, it was as if I was expected to be 100% of my old self immediately back to my job full time, taking care of the house full time, taking care of, um, you know, everyone else and everything else. And I just didn't feel up to it. Not yet. And so I think helping patients understand the importance of the kind of that new normal and that it's OK to take it slow. And my mother was able to help me through that, but also understanding that they can discuss this with their family and their friends in a way that helps them understand. Hey, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I, I'm still in this experience. I'm still on this journey, but it's going to be okay. Well, like for me to you, and for me, it's like, because in 2000, I think I started following you on Instagram in like 2013. And like, I was not really. That may like, have been my first year on there. Yeah, no, like I've, I've, been following you, I've been following you for a long, like for a long time on Instagram. <laughs> and like, I actually didn't know that you had like, that you were a cancer survivor. Cause like, I wasn't like, I just didn't see the media that it did in like 11 and 12 when you'd been talking about it then. Mm-hmm. And so even seeing where you were in like 13 and 14, like I wouldn't have known if you hadn't like talked about it and been open about it, like on your social media, which I thought was so courageous and so strong of you. But I just want to ask like how long from the time you were done with treatment until you did because I mean I feel like following you now like you did that CBS charity like beam routine last year that made me <laughs> fucking tears I was like literally like scouring the internet like, know, that, like that took a lot to get I was the scouring, nerves up. <laughs> I was scouring the internet for like 
like so long like, trying to find. I was like, when is it going to be up? When can I see it? And I mean, you like that video that I saw you when you when this was on uh, the pod. But I saw this amazing video of you training on Facebook. That was so amazing. You post that gorgeous handstand. I mean, you seem very busy now, like 150 million percent. Like, I mean, talk about like making it through the rain. Like, you definitely came out of the other side. Your kids are so dang cute. Aww, I love you. your guys' little dance routines in your living room. Just like so cute. You really do have a really cute grand. But I mean, how like was it like for in your experience, like in your journey, was it like a year after you were done or like two? years or is it still not all the way? Um, you mean when my journey is kind of what I consider finished? Yeah, well, not like finished. Like, when were you like being like, like? It took me. Well, I would say it took me a little over a year to kind of feel like myself again. In fact, I so I after in the fall of 2011, I signed on to do commentary for the Olympics in 2012, and I thought, oh, I'll feel fine next summer. It's you know no worries. And by next summer, I was still taking naps in the afternoon. I was still nauseous with a lot of foods, and I thought, what did I do? And and, you know, when you go to the Olympics and work it, it's like 16-hour days. It's insane. And that was really the first time that I kind of felt like, all right, I've got to do this. And so once I kind of got through the other side of that, I think that's maybe late 2012 when I started to kind of really feel like myself again. Now, I, you know, wore, was still wearing a wig. My hair hadn't come back. I had no eyelashes or eyebrows. But I was starting to get some energy back. But I do think it's an ongoing process. I still go in for my testing. I still have a little bit of that fear. Um, but, you know, I just – the one thing that I really – learned throughout the cancer diagnosis that I just need to go out and live every day to the fullest, no matter what happens. Just, you know, don't have those regrets. Just go out and, and enjoy every day as much as possible. And like when you have like your checkups, it's just like, whether it's like quarterly or like twice a year or once a year, it's just like, do you just try to kind of like, just do what you just said that you do? Just like focus on the now, focus on your day. Like, don't worry about like- your I do. I do. I don't even think about it until I have to get there and then I get through it and I just try to think about everything else and I figure if if something comes back that's not great then I'll deal with it and at least I'll know. So I could like literally spend the rest of my life talking with you. Thank you so much for talking to me about so much gymnastics. This is the part in the pod where like I taught your ear off so much uh, and which like was the most amazing time <laughs> of my life. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to share with people that like like we can obviously we're going to put the link for your Instagram and ourway4.com and whatever other socials like people can follow you on because they need to everyone needs to be seeing <laughs> it. Um, also just like from super fan to you I love the work that you're doing post Olympics but however I have to say Anytime you want to be up in that gymnastics center doing some gorgeous stuff on the gram, I think it drives followers. I think it drives views. I think people like, seriously. I'm, I'm going to start stretching out. Well, no, I've seriously. with you. Oh, good gracious. You're doing more tumbling than I'm doing. I mean, well, I mean, maybe <laughs> we great. need to see you on that tumble track. Like, I think people would really freak out. I think we need to do handstands after the show. I think we've got to do that. Oh, my God. Oh, my I God. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That. Okay, I'm going to freak out. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, wait. So what do you want to say? Is there anything else we want to say? No, thank you so much for having me on. I am so glad your mother is doing well. Um, it is such a difficult thing for an entire family. And I hope people um, that are facing a diagnosis like this or any other challenge in life will um, go out there and really find that support and the resources that they need. Because we're here. We're all here to help each other. Um. I love you so much, and I'm so glad that you're doing so well and just, like, nailing it, Stick, continuing to stick your landings, honey. Um, thank you so much, Shannon Miller. Thank you. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Shannon Miller. 
You'll find links to Shannon's work and socials in the episode description of wherever you're listening to the show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Also, please follow at Curious with JVN. We love it so much. If you love our show, introduce a friend, honey. We would appreciate it so much. Show them how to subscribe. Getting Curious is produced by Cody Ziegler, Emily Bosick, Julie Carrillo, Ray Ellis, and Colin Anderson. Digital media by Lara Naiman. 